0: It's time for Mike Osman and Mad Mick's podcast. It's the Mike Osman and Mad Mick podcast. Today, with a difference. Today is a coronavirus special. My guests are Sam Kane and Linda Lasadi. Linda, of course, a national treasure. Sam, who's appeared in some of our favorite soap operas. Two very, very good friends of mine. And what you're gonna hear today is how they got through coronavirus. How Linda very nearly died of coronavirus. It's an incredible story and I'm very humbled that they've agreed to come onto this podcast and tell us exactly in full detail of what they went through. My very special guests, Sam Kane and Linda Lasardi. Hi, Sam. Hi, Linda. Hello. Hello, Michael. So, Sam, Linda, let's go back to New Year's Eve, right? December the 31st, 2019.
1: We were driving back from Panto, weren't we? Because it was we were. our last show. It
0: how how was the year looking, going ahead?
1: Oh great! Yeah, we had loads of lined up. Loads of things that have all gone down the pan because of uh, the lockdown.
0: Yeah, it was so, so it was. A great year looking ahead, and yep. then of course we got the first case of coronavirus in the UK it was late January. Two Chinese nationals uh, fell ill in York, and the first case in London, twelfth of February, a woman who had recently arrived from China. And then your world, you two, both of you, your world was to come crashing down. To, to talk us through it. And 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 whether it's Sam talking through it or both of you, I'd just love to know because from a point of view, I have no idea and so many people have no idea what you both went through, what your family went through when you contracted coronavirus.
1: Well, we were fairly early, weren't
2: we? Early March, we got it. Like first week of March. In fact, it might have even been the end of February, 1st of March, um, is when we got it. And I got it first, Mike. I don't know where I contracted it. Everybody, it's the first question everybody asks, where would you get it? I don't know. It's kind of immaterial at that point, wasn't it? It was just about trying to get better. And, so what, you know, what? how did you feel, Sam? What were the symptoms for you at that point? It's horrific, Mike. It, you know, there's, there's no way you can downplay it, really. Um, and I've said this a lot of times in a lot of interviews, and it's it sounds like it's been melodramatic, but... You know you're ill when you're praying for death, and that sounds really kind of extreme. But that's where we both were. Yeah, it was awful. So, so you had the first symptoms,
0: and then and so what happened? And how long before Linda you started to develop the symptoms?
1: Um, well, Sam had got not typical symptoms. He'd uh, he'd got very high temperature, and he was sleeping a lot, but he was vomiting which wasn't a corona um, symptom. Um, so I wasn't distancing myself from him. And at that point, we really didn't know much about it at all. Obviously, everyone's sort of clued up now. So I was sleeping in the same bed with him and um, looking after him and very worried about him. And then he, you seemed to improve a little bit. And then I... Got a terrible temperature and started to be sick. We got, you know, we vomited. Both of us vomiting. and then we ended up in different bedrooms, just really, really being ill. Um, you know, with our son trying to deal with us, and Sam coming around the landing to me because you felt a bit better. But then you then you dipped again, didn't you? Yeah. And then I. So did, did you entirely... did
0: you know at that point that you or did you think you had coronavirus, or were you still unsure? Earth?
2: We couldn't confirm that we yeah. had it, but we both, neither of us had ever felt like this before. So with this new virus coming out and the more and more news that was coming out about it, it was just obvious that that was it because, you know, having never felt that ill ever, it was, um, uh, it, your it, muscles it had to hurt, be. It had mu- to
1: be. Yeah. Your muscles hurt from head to toe. You, your your brain wasn't working properly. You, like, like Sam said, you just feel like, oh, please, I just don't want to wake up. I just can't. And that's not, how you rationally think when you're all right it you know it's starving your brain of oxygen and you're not thinking straight and every day we were getting more information on the news and, and it was constant 24 hours on, on the telly all the time at that point and um we said oh we've definitely got it and we got really bad one night and called an ambulance um and uh they took a few tests but they said because you're being sick and you've got diarrhoea, then it's not corona, so they left us here because those weren't symptoms then. Um, and then I took a further dip and um, our son called an ambulance again and uh, they took our blood and everything and they decided that, I mean, we had so little oxygen in our blood that that's when your organs start failing and things, that they took us both in. Yeah,
2: we were dying, Mike.
0: God. And Jared, and before, before you eventually went into the hospital, was did sleep come easy or was it you you know when you go to sleep and you've got something on your mind I mean you you're basically on your mind is the fact that you may be dying so I'm trying to work out how that felt for both of you laying your head on the pillow believing you had coronavirus hearing all of the awful things that were going on with it how was that for? It must have been terrifying.
2: Well, your body kind of breaks down, doesn't it, when you're really ill, and the only way for it to recover is to switch you off, so it puts you to sleep, and that was kind of what was happening a lot of the time. But through the illness and the certainly the um, the, the fever, it was creating. It was, our temperatures were so high that we even sleep wasn't restful. It was constant hallucination and the dreams were just horrific. And Mike, it was just it was a nightmare. Even resting didn't seem to help. It
1: was it makes you know, it makes me laugh. A lot of people sort of say, oh, it's only like having a cold. I mean, it is for some young people. But I think when you get a heavy dose of it, which I obviously got a heavy dose from Sam, um, it hits you like a sledgehammer. It really does. And, you know, all you want to do is sleep, but you can't. And I remember hoping to be sick so that I, I knew after I was sick, I would go to sleep for a little while. Yeah. Um, but, but So
0: what about the... So you didn't get the cough or anything like that, that no, persistent no. cough? No, neither no. no, of us got the cough. That's interesting, isn't it? Because we've heard so much about the key symptoms.
1: I didn't lose my sense of smell or, or taste. My no, son I did. did. Uh, Jack did. I he did too. Did, didn't he? Yep. So
0: is um, Jack had it as well?
1: Yeah, Jack had it during the time we had it, but he... Well, actually, it was when you were ill, wasn't it? At The yeah. beginning. He He seemed to get it before me. But he just went to bed for a couple of days. He had a terrible temperature and he said he felt really rotten. Um, but then, you know, started to get better. You so know, it was
0: Jack, wasn't it, that more or less said, this is it. These two need to go to hospital.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: Yeah, he called, called the ambulance and, you know, the second time and they came out and he, he wasn't having any of it you know the first time they didn't take us and and we have a theory on this that they didn't want to take us in because they just weren't prepared and you know and in a lot of cases you can't really blame them because what the onslaught that was about to happen that they had no idea of because we were one of the first ones in hospital you know nobody could be prepared for that so you know putting preparations and it in was,
1: place you know they kept umming and ahhing whether to take us the second time Um, sort of whispering between themselves and phoning people and then they said yes we were going to take you in but as soon as we got in the ambulance they said please prepare we've got two COVID-19 patients coming in so they did know
2: yeah thank god they did bring us on mate because we probably wouldn't have been here today I know and that doesn't bear thinking
0: about I can't believe that you know that I may not have been talking to you both and it sends a shiver down my spine because we've known each other so long and oh, that, no. I'm always getting a bit emotional thinking about that um so in terms of um going in that early are you you know you sort of
2: it was almost better to be in early wasn't it do you think well ahead of the onslaught, Coin really that one, Mike, because a they didn't know what they were dealing with. Right. Uh, but on the flip side of it, you know, they they didn't have loads and loads more cases. I remember a male nurse coming in to give me some food on about day three, um, and he just said, "Thank God you came in when you did, because it is mental out there." He said, "It's mayhem. It's like it's like a riot in A and E." And I went, "What?" And when we went in, it was relatively quiet, you know. So you know, I, I'm really happy we did get in, even though they didn't really have an idea of what they were doing because at the moment look at it now the situation is the thing that's actually curing people is a is a um
1: anti-inflammatory.
2: Uh, no not an anti-inflammatory oh. uh, steroid antibiotic Ste- oh the steroid yeah. Yeah. at the beginning i'm I'm asthmatic so if you take an inhaler you know that a brown inhaler has got a steroid in it and they said yeah. no steroids no uh, anti-inflammatories and now it's the flip of that so they were keeping away from us the drugs that we actually needed at that point. Yeah. So I think yeah, and uh, with, with I the think help we were getting and our own body physiology uh, fixing itself, it was um, really was an knife edge. I mean,
1: I the, mean, I
2: think go on, Linda. Sorry. sorry.
1: No, the staff weren't prepared for us. I mean, they they did ex- chest X-rays and both of ours were really bad. I think mine were worse. So they whisked me up to a room upstairs, um, and Sam was still on in A and E. Weren't you on yeah. a bed for a while? But the nurses when I went into the room they were just terrified to come in they hadn't got the right PPE and um you know I was lucky if someone came to attend to me it was like four or five hours between them coming in even if I rang the bell and things I mean Mm. they were doing their utmost but they were terrified they just
2: had no idea what they were dealing with and you know at the end of it Mike when um oh there's a whole other story to go on about Linda and how we nearly lost her but then the the doctor that was seeing to me, a wonderful lady, she sat down and she just said to me, I just need you to talk me through your symptoms. So I sat there with her, explained what I was going through. And she just said, we have no idea about any of the symptoms you're going through with regards to the sickness, the diarrhea. the you know, They knew about the fever and stuff like that. And she said, which was, stick with me forever this. She burst out crying and I said, how are you doing with this? How are you coping? And that's when she just broke down. She said, look, we're just looking at our imminent death because there's no way we're going to get through this without getting it and we're looking yeah. at people like you and we know people are going to die from this so we are literally we're walking on a on, on a fine um high wire of survival or not
0: yeah and that was the thing wasn't it for i mean the government have been criticized the the health some of the nhs people have been uh, you know the chief advisors and stuff but they were having and you, your testament to this they were having to make decisions based on little or no evidence whatsoever.
1: I know, I know. And I had a, I think I told you on the phone the other day that I had a doctor come in when I, I was sort of really, really bad and they'd put the oxygen to 60% on my face and it's I was still struggling. And I said, am I going to make this, make it through this, you know? And he he just said, well... You're 61. I can't promise you anything. We don't know what we're dealing with. Mm, I mean, gosh. situation's much different now, but at that yeah. time, and I just thought, oh my god! And I, I text Sam and I said, I, I, I want you to come up. I don't know if I want to make it through the night.
2: And you know, you put yourself in that perspective of hearing that news at uh, your physically your lowest ebb of your life. Yeah, you know, you're being told you might not make it you know, you immediately jump to the worst case scenario and that's what Linda did. She texted me and thankfully the nurse got me up there because I had a breakdown downstairs or went up to, into her room and um, I thought she was laid there dead, Mike, on the on the bed and it was an experience I don't want to relive that many times, to be honest with you. But, right. um, yeah, it was, it was the lowest point of my life, completely. Um, anyway, sat her up, spoke with her, gave her some water, tended to her for the next few hours. Obviously, I'm still massively ill, you know, and out of breath not being able to do anything but making sure i could make sure she was okay do you remember Um, what you said to her sam sorry do you
0: remember what you said to her when when you know the person i I didn't know she was
2: alive or not mike i put my hand on hers and i just said her name and i just saw her eyes open i thought thank first of all my first thought was thank god she's alive and then she turned around and i just said you've got to stay you can't go you cannot leave us and i was in a mess mike i mean the whole episode before with the nurses i'd run out the room, pulled all the tubes out of my arms and all the pipes out of my nose. And it was that situation where the doctors come in and sedate you. That's exactly what happened. They held me down and put a needle in my leg, you know, to calm me down because I'd yeah. just been told by my wife that she might not see it through the night. Um, so I eventually got up there and I just talked to Linda about the kids and about how much we love each other and there's so much more life to live and we've, we've been through this and we can get through it together. And the lights came on, you know, and it was... From that moment, Linda very very, very slowly got better and with the help of a really good friend of ours in the spiritual world, helping heal Linda from afar um you know things went from from one uh step to the next very slowly but the the graduation was I suppose the same. we've seen it symptomatic with so many people that we know have been through it now. It's a really, really slow down or rather uphill slope back to recovery and that the increments are so tiny but once you recognize them and are aware of what they are you know we, we became very aware quickly that linda was recovering so I, I want to come back
0: to the spiritualist thing sam that you mentioned there but first linda when when sam said to you no come on you can't go uh, for the kids for jack and lucy and stuff like that do you remember or, or do you feel like that was a major point in you going I am going to beat this.
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah. I I think because I felt very isolated in that room and after that doctor left, I just went downhill, you know, really downhill. And um, I I was sort of, I don't know what was happening to my body. I just felt like everything was dying. And then when Sam came in, it just... Because I think I was I was upset also that we'd been separated as well. Um, I just thought, come on i've got to, got to fight this um i mean i couldn't physically do anything but i did it did change my mental attitude slightly and and sam being there for four for four or five hours with me really helped um you know and then obviously the you know the oxygen was getting through to me more the longer i was in there but 10 days i was in there and it just um and when sam did this spiritual thing with with june he'll tell you about that in a minute I didn't know he was doing it, this healing. But one evening when he phoned me up, I just couldn't stop smiling. I said, I know I'm going to be okay. I feel so much better. I feel really positive about it all now. And um, Whatever state I come out in, I I feel like I will live now. Um, but i well, let Sam um, tell you.
0: That must have been incredible for you. So, so Sam, you mentioned the spiritualist, and Linda's just brought it up there, June, because, you know, you're sort of, there are people, many, many millions of people who would just poo-poo anything like that. What gave you the sort of strength
2: to do it? Was it just anything? No, no, I've always... I, I've. Uh, it's it's a weird thing, Mike. You either believe, or not even believe, you either know or you don't know. You know, I mean, there's scepticism within all of this, and scepticism is, is healthy, but I've always known that there's something more, and I won't have anybody proving or trying to convince me uh, of... A different scenario.
0: Sorry, I love the way you put that. I've always known. Rather than as you say, I mean that is such a positive, strong attitude with something that does get, you know, a certain amount of criticism within certain sections.
2: Well, they criticise it because they don't understand it. And if you don't understand it, it's fearful. It creates a fear in in whatever the scenario is. It's up to them whether they decide to understand or not, and that's not really for me to impose. And I think that's been the problem with spirituality throughout the ages, that it's... There's been charlatans there that have been found out and it really does ruin it for those people that can. But the situation with this, Mike, was this lady was introduced to me while I was in hospital and I didn't know, I've never met her before and I knew nothing of her, although spiritualism has been a big part of my life and I don't really like to talk about it because... like, In all the years I've known you, I've never known that. I don't talk about it because people think you're a crank and I don't want to come across that way because it's a part of my life that I understand could be misunderstood is the only way I can put it. But um, anyway, I phoned this woman up and she, how did it work? Oh, the person I spoke to said, I I want to introduce you to somebody. I'm not going to tell them about you, but I want you to phone her when you're ready. So as far as I was concerned, he didn't tell June Field about me, but he gave me her number. So I phoned her up and straight away she went, oh, Sam, I've been waiting for your call, right? in this gorgeous little Dundee accent. And I went, do you, so how do you know who i am and she said no i know i've been waiting for your call so i was like okay straight away it's weird so and then you know the cynics out there can say well he must have told her who it was Well, whether he did or he didn't is by the by but anyway this beautiful lady offered to help linda and sit from afar in spirit and heal right because there are people out there who can you know holistically i suppose heal and um she said look i want you to sit in with me for half an hour with Linda and get her energy working because I need to be invited into her energy to see what it's like. And then we can assess. So well, she's, okay. but I not want you to tell Linda. Sorry, Mike. And what do you mean by sit in? Well, it's, it's to get in. When you go into spirit, you, it's really impossible to describe you sit in a scenario it's almost like in a trance like situation where you sit down in in your own home so she's in dundee i'm at home linda's in hospital we're all completely remote from each other but we get into a collective consciousness i suppose which would be the spiritual side of things and we physically or mentally uh, spiritually sit with linda and we physicalize our our entity within that energy does that make any sense Yes, it does. It does. You're almost like a conduit. So you're a conduit for June. You're thinking about Linda. You're no, I'm not a conduit at all. No, June, June, all June needs to be is invited in, and she can. Her spirit guide will take her wherever she needs to go directly. And right. all she did was she said to me, "Look, you have this gift as well. I want you to sit in with me, and you can help me, and we can see what Linda's energy is like." And she running to the end of the scenario. We didn't tell Linda anything about this before it happened, and then afterwards. I phoned Linda. So before this happened, I spoke to Linda FaceTime and she looked, looked awful. Like she looked, didn't look like Linda. She was just like a shell of her former self, like a deflated, a deflated, unrecognizable person in the hospital. They had no idea who she was because she didn't look like herself at all. Yeah. So that was half an hour before, half an hour later, having done the, the sitting in with the energy, I FaceTimed Linda straight away. So she was completely unaware of any of this. And, um, Linda came on, FaceTime, and she had a smile on her face. And I said, are you okay? She said, like she explained before, she said, I can't stop smiling. She wow. said, I don't know what happened, but for the first time, I know I'm going to be okay right? It could have been sheer coincidence, but I don't believe in coincidence. So I know what it was. Uh, And then I spoke to June and explained, she said, no, she said, when I got in there, her energy was stagnant. She said, with your help, and we'll do this every day, twice a day, three times a day, if need be, we need to get her energy flowing so that her body and her spiritual side of her energy starts working and fixing itself. Because what that will be the biggest catalyst, along with the doctors and the help that they're giving her, it will all work to uh, to the the better end, and within a matter of days, Linda's progression was massive. So you know it's not to be poo pooed. I know. Of which, what harm is it doing? No, exactly. And Linda,
0: were you feeling anything at this point? Or...
1: well, I'm the biggest skeptic in the world. I'm a real practical person, and um, uh, you know, I've although I don't shut the door to it all, I've I've never really embraced it in my life and um you know I'm much more open to it now but no I I just I think I was just sitting there and I just started to feel better in myself um you know and I thought I am gonna be all right you know I just just something switched and I was totally unaware of what they were doing but um I did Feel like you know at seven o'clock I started to feel a bit better. It was weird.
0: Sam Sam says coincidence or not. Sam Sam has total faith in it. Obviously, by the sound of it, Uh, have you changed in your views? You said you're very practical and sort of the biggest skeptic. Uh, Do you do you sort of have more belief in that now?
1: I do have more belief in it, and having spoken to June and seen her help other people, and you know she's sort of if she can tell you things about yourself that that she couldn't possibly know that haven't been in the papers that you know there's certain things that i've heard her tell other people like um she was on the radio um on uh, second city radio doing uh readings of people's pictures and the presenter had given her his picture but he didn't tell her and we didn't know and she was describing this person um in his childhood and everything i said that's that's the presenter and wow. um sam said i don't think it is because i said don't give a picture of yourself but um after you know I, she was just spot on absolutely spot on with mm. her description of his life and his troubles and his ailments and um and things you couldn't really guess
2: it's unexplainable, isn't it you know it's it's, it's fantastic and, and and a mystery to so many people but I believe we've all got it, Mike. I just think we've switched off. You know, Interesting. You when Alan Ball died, Sam,
0: I, yeah. I was um I've known the family many, many years. I knew the children. Uh and I used to go upstairs and I used to hang out the window and have a cigarette. That was when I was smoking no more and I used to get Bully talking to me in my head and it it may seem strange, but it was like clear as I'm, as if I was talking to him. I could hear him talking to me. And he said to me one day, he said, Mike, I want you to tell the kids where the clock is. I want you to tell the kids where the clock is. Now I had no idea what he was talking about. So I said to phone Jimmy Ball, I said, Jim, I said, this might sound strange. And, and when you've got to say to somebody, "I've got your dad talking to me every night," you know, yeah. and I'm now telling them the conversations like, are broach, is it? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm saying, Alan's talking to me, and he's told me <laughs> saying something about the clock. And Jimmy said, "Oh my God," he said, "We've been looking for this clock for about the so so say this was three months after Alan's death. We've all been looking for this clock. We've been in his house. We've looked everywhere we can possibly think of." And I told them that it was in a cupboard in his partner's house. uh, And that's where it was.
1: Oh, well, you've got the gift then.
0: Well, I don't know, Linda. I mean, it just... And I've never, ever mentioned this publicly, but because Sam has opened up the way he's opened up, it gave me confidence to say that to, to you. And... And, you know, this is not me sat here making it up. You can talk to – anyone can talk to Jimmy Ball and ask him the the question. I found this clock that I'd been looking for for three
2: months, and it was like – But it's funny, have you not not noticed that even even the people who are like devout skeptics, you just don't believe at all, Regardless of how much they poo-poo it, everybody's got a story where they go, although this happened, and they tell you their story and you go, and I can't explain that. So everybody's kind of like even subconsciously aware that there's something else. Yeah. They just can't – it (laughs) doesn't fit within the practical world. I
0: I think it must be great for you, Sam, and now you, Linda, to know there is something else out there. Does that give you a bit of comfort?
1: I think it does. I just find it – I mean, the last thing I want to do is ever see a ghost. And um <laughs> But June says I've got the gift too, but I do not I d I don't I don't want to tap into it at all whereas Sam is embracing it and wants to...
2: Oh, I love it. I can't wait. June's actually coaching me to be a fully-fledged medium now, so I'm actually going through almost being uh, mentored by her. June Field, actually, is an incredible medium, and you should have a chat to her on the podcast, Mike, because she is incredibly fascinating. And what I love about June is I've spoken to many mediums over the years because I've always, like I say, known, and I can tell them straight away. In a second, I will know whether they're real or whether they're charlatans, and I've known so many um, different people throughout the years who have got it wrong a million ways, and there's always been an agenda with them. With June, there's no agenda. She doesn't want anything. She doesn't ask for anything. All she does in most cases is help people out without any kind of desire for remuneration or any payment. And that is certainly in the case of Linda. She didn't want anything. She didn't ask for anything. I love that.
0: Yeah, that is brilliant. Is
2: So in,
0: in, do you think then that there's a place for it? I'm not saying in medicine, but or maybe there's a place for it to become more accepted. And I and I would hope that people listening to programs like this will start to see that maybe there is a place because it the amount of comfort you got from it, and and you obviously believe that it did have a huge impact on on Linda's survival. Um, do you think there is a place for it more a, a more public profile for something
2: like this? Well, I think it's just coming back to what is naturally there, Mike. You know, and I, like I say, I, I I don't believe it. I know it. And I believe everybody has it or a, a certain level of it. And what's happened, certainly in the current circumstances with coronavirus and lockdown, everybody's slowed down and they've just got in touch with nature again. Everybody's talking about how loud the birds are outside, you know, how much nature they're starting to see. Because people are picking their heads up and seeing what's around them. The sky is bluer. The sky is the same colour as when we were kids right now Uh it hasn't been that color for so long and I think there's been an awakening in society right the way across the planet where we've just woken up and I think this is a part of it communities becoming bigger people are talking to each other and I think all of that is getting back to basic humanity and basic Mm. humanity is what we're all about and I think spirituality is a massive part of that
0: yeah, that's – it's incredible, and I, I, I certainly hope you're right when you talk about the sky is bluer, and the other thing to say is the stars at night
2: are just oh, – Have you seen the moon, how bright the moon is at night? What yeah. uh, I've never seen it look like that. It's like you – we've all been to sea in terms of cruising. I was at
0: sea in the Royal Navy as well, and the sky, you'll never see the stars like you see when you're at sea because there's no light pollution. And now, of course, the stars at night in the UK are unbelievable –
1: it doesn't just show the damage that we've been doing with our pollution and our cars and everything else. Mm. So I hope that we've learned something from this lockdown. You are listening to my husband and made me
0: podcast. What's on there with you? You know, when you see demonstrations going on, when you see thousands flocking to the beach, when you see thousands of hundreds of people going to buy new trainers does that make you angry or does it make you sad? It's just
2: despair, isn't it, more than anything? And and disbelief that... I suppose there's no other word to it as opposed to... The word is ignorance, isn't it? Those guys don't or can't conceive what it's like, so they have no empathy for anybody that's had it because they can't feel what it was like. And I kind of understand that they're thinking, well, I haven't got it, why should I? But anywhere they could pick it up and even if they don't suffer the symptoms of it they could pass it on to somebody that could die from it and that kind of ignorance that's the bit that angers me
1: it's just selfish you know like if they're young they think they won't suffer much if they do get it but they carry it home on their clothes and they give it to their grandparents who end up dying from it
2: yeah uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not great. It doesn't take a lot of consideration, does it, Mike, just to, to consider your fellow man. To stand four foot away from someone's not a hardship. And, you know, you look at these people and you just think, I don't know what's going through your mind. Either they don't care and they're completely callous or they're completely ignorant, but it's somewhere between the two.
1: But I think, um, you know, lockdown is getting easier and the cases are getting less and, you know, the provisions are getting less, aren't they? You know, the things you have to do. Mm. So you know, but I don't know whether they've uh, relaxed it a bit too early. To be fair,
0: yeah. Again, I I have no idea. I think we can only look back, can't we? And uh, as they always say, hindsight's crystal clear. We we can only look back and see where the mistakes were made and hope lessons can be learned. And I guess that the the people that are flock you know flocking to the beach or protesting maybe when we look back and there is evidence of maybe a uh, you know, a uh, uh, spike in certain areas of coronavirus. Maybe that's what they need to see. They almost need to see evidence, don't they? They almost need to see somebody in AE fighting to breathe like but you
2: they do. They? they don't see those people, you know? No. I, mean, I went to a nurse when we were in the thicker lockdown, and it was pretty much It was one of the first loads of pitches that came out from people going down to the beach, and a nurse was saying, My job, solely in the hospital, is to hold the phone up to patients who are saying their final farewells to their families. Said, I wish that they could see this, but they can't. They have no concept of what's going on here because they're not interested. And that is terrifying, to have that kind of inconsideration to your fellow man. It it doesn't equate to me. I can't Mm -hmm. consider it.
0: Yeah, I don't think they have the Second World War spirit, do they? They have no idea. I think because we all grew up where, you know, I was born in 59. I guess you were born in 58, Linda?
1: Yeah, I was 58.
0: And you're slightly younger. You're, you're I are a millennial, almost.
1: I am a millennial, almost.
0: We would have heard our parents and grandparents talking about the war and talking about the sacrifices they made. And so we grew up with that in our mindset anyway. And that it's, I just don't think that the younger generation, I don't want to blame them all because that's not the case at all. I think that there is a different mindset.
2: Mike, it's a societal thing, isn't it? You know, you're looking. Mm -hmm. when we were kids, and a copper would come around and clout you around the back of the head if you even looked like you were going to do something. And then if you were doing something, you'd walk you home and your mum would clout you around the back of the head for it as well. Yeah. And there yeah. was a the respect that was instilled in us, even if we were little scumbags. You know, we were scumbags to a level that wasn't really changing or ruining the world. Yeah. Now the sense of entitlement is just... And it makes me sound like an old fart, but it's true. You look, everybody wants everything now. If it's not, immediately there's a problem. Everybody's gotten a a point of view, and it's my opinion, and I'm entitled to it. Well, that's fair enough, but nobody needs to hear it all the time.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think that is so, so, so true. So what role did Jack and Lucy play in... I mean, it must have been so tough for those.
1: Well, Lucy was at her boyfriend's um, when we were actually taken to hospital. that was before the lockdown, and uh, we obviously didn't want to worry her if she said, How are you? I we said, Well, we're all right, we're getting you know. Um, but then we've got one of the new doorbells that uh notifies you if there's movement at the front door. So she put on the feed and saw us both sort of hobbling out, being helped by two uh women in in uh sort of massive gear PPAs, and cookies, like suits, weren't they? yeah, right head to toe in, in a white jumpsuit and all the stuff. And she, of course, panicked. And her and my, her and her brother, sort of were talking. And they were they they went to through through hell, didn't they? Really, they were yeah. so worried about us. Um, and then, obviously, Sam was uh, in for four days. Once he was home, he was keeping them updated with with my uh, progress. But Jack was a, you know, one minute we're both ill at home, and then he sees us off in an ambulance and and it's heavy lockdown and he's got to be in the house on his own. Um, he did cope very well, really. Um, he's a very strong lad, but, uh, you know, it must have been the worst time of their lives, really.
2: He was incredible, Mike. And also, you know, the the sense of community and friendship. And I remember Bradley Walsh phoning me up and just saying, "Sabbath, if there's anything you need, let me know. And Jack couldn't go out because he didn't know whether he had it or not. Bradley, obviously, at this point, knew he didn't have it. And I think he was still filming at the time. And he just said, if there's anything you need. And I'm in hospital just croaking a conversation to Brad. And I just said, mate, listen, if you can get any shopping to Jack. And he went out. And what he came back with was just like, Seventy-six weeks worth of provisions <laughs> for Jack, It's it just kept and, coming in and, and coming was, in. And,
1: and it was, it was boys' provisions, was it? Yeah. It was so I everything mean, was
2: pizza, and wagon and... wheels, and, and, yeah, and no, son, I've been shopping for you. Yeah. Oh, honest to God, he was an absolute superstar. Yeah. Um, and, and our
1: neighbours as well were baking yeah. cakes and bringing. They bought uh, my neighbour bought Jack around a Sunday dinner on a plate and left it on the doorstep. You know um they were just amazing
2: and because we were so depleted of any kind of mental and, and physical health any kind of kindness would just bring us to tears yeah because people's just the love we have just been talking about the lack of respect the flip side of that the people around us were just incredible you know
1: yeah. and my mum of course I'm sort of her lifeline for shopping and all that sort of stuff and um you know her neighbor was getting her shopping and cutting her grass and doing stuff for her it, the, you know it was people were just amazing You know, and then slowly as the hospital got used to us being there, they were amazing. I had some real moments with the staff at the North Middlesex Hospital, a real kindness. And um, again, you know, um, a nurse that was dealing with me um, was quite religious and she just said, you know, God will save you and all this and you're going to be all right. And um, you always make me upset. (laughs)
0: Yeah, don't worry, Linda. It's we've seen the best and we've seen the, we've seen the worst and we've seen the very, very best of people throughout this pandemic. Um, First thing to say is that I hope we could do something for that hospital at some point. You know what we're like when we all get together. We can put a hell of a show on. We've done it so many times at the Reese Daniels Trust and stuff like that. Yeah. I'd love to, you know, at any point, if you decide to do that, you count on me. I'll be there with you every step. Mike, we'll of take you up on that because we would love to help out. Yeah, it would just be nice. You know, you can say thank you as much as you want, but if you can do it in a way that, they get something from it. You know what I mean? And,
1: they, and
0: I know they wouldn't want it, but even if it's something they need desperately for that hospital, that we could be part of the fundraising team, I'd be very honoured to be a part of, of that. Thanks, so thank God you both survived it. So what about the future? You know, what plans are you making, if any?
1: Well, um, all the best laid plans have gone by the wayside and, um, I did have panto, but that's been put on hold now because I don't think any will be happening this year. So um, I had some photography stuff booked in because I do—I I have a photographic studio. But um, you know, you're not allowed to have people in, and blah blah blah. So at the moment, we're doing nothing and don't really know what the future holds.
2: It's a bit yeah. scary, isn't it? Working yeah. at the, the company I work for, Tag Management, we were heavily involved with cruise ship bookings and land bookings and entertainment production and all that stuff, and the ball was really rolling really steadily, and then this happened, and then, uh, like we said earlier, the whole of show business has been decimated theatres and now wondering whether they're ever going to open their doors again. So we're just waiting to see, Mike. There'll be some sense of normality, but what it's done, it's created a, a new creativity spark in everybody's brain where we're all trying to diversify and like you do in this, you know, and think of different ways to utilise the skills and, and and stuff and experience that we've we've gathered over the years that we've been around. So something will happen. It's just a matter of waiting to see where the new normal is. I don't think Panto will happen this year, and that, and that terrifies me because if it wasn't for Panto, a lot of theatres wouldn't stay open. Mm. So we just have to see, you know, see if they could just hold the resolve as long as they possibly can.
0: It does seem that the entertainment sector has been sort of left to get on with it, really. I don't know if you feel the same. Now, Rishi Sunak is a Southampton man, the Chancellor. Uh, and I'm a big fan of what he's done. He's done so much for so many people. But he seems to have sort of left the entertainment industry uh, out to dry, really, because every comic I know, unless you made £50,000 profit last year or any entertainer,
2: I think you get universal credit, but if you've got any savings whatsoever, you don't even get that. No, it's, no. it's terrifying. And it was weird, you know, because everyone's saying about the, you know, the, the jobs, the frontline workers and the, the, the things that are most important, you know, and I'm not decrying any of that. Of course it's important. It goes without saying, but what has everybody else been doing when they haven't been working? They've been dependent on entertainment and it's, diversity and listening to music listening to podcasts watching yeah. movies television and visual entertainment and audible entertainment has probably been at its highest through lockdown because nobody else has got anything to do so if we're not essential what are we
0: mm. yeah and and we're the people that are going to make them laugh we're going to cheer them up at the end of all of this when when we start going back but you just think you know it, uh, somebody somebody went on eBay the other day and looked at PA systems for sale and there were over a 1,000 PA systems up for sale for enter- from entertainers who oh, no longer need them or need to sell them to get some revenue in to
2: live. Wow, oh, it's just terrifying. And all those entertainers now that don't have anywhere to apply their trade, it, it really is quite terrifying.
1: But, but, you know, as soon as we get a vaccine and as soon as everyone's been vaccinated, you know, 6 months after that it, it the coronavirus will be gone within the world and hopefully things will get back to what they were.
0: Yeah, I'm going to put me prizes up, and I don't know about you two. So what what have you what have you learned from it I guess is is sort of you know finishing up what have you learned and has it changed you both?
1: I, I think it's changed both of us but for me it's really prioritized things and um, you know the people you love and your family, they are the most important things. And, um, you know, whether you, whether you get X amount for a job, the things that, the things that you're all sort of stressing about before this happened, I will never stress about again, um, Mm. because they're so unimportant because you're not put on this planet to be greedy and to, you know, be worrying about work all the time. I know we all need money to live. Um, but, uh, It's the people you love, and being kind and being nice to other people is the most important thing.
2: Mm. Sam? I've learned to uh, not shake hands anymore, Michael, and <laughs> I have to wash my hands properly. And, and, and I've also learned that I'm not insured for enough money. Yeah. <laughs> <yes. laughs> no, I'll oh, yeah. check on what Linda said. The most important things to you are the people that are closest to you, and that's it. All you've got are the people you love, and you know if you collect a, lot, a few more along the way. I don't know. It sounds a bit happy clappy, but you know we've, we've looked death straight in the face. So we have a different perspective now. We're going to really look after ourselves, take care of ourselves when we can. And we're still pretty much depleted, mate. You know, I was the two of us, we walk up the stairs and we're like pensioners now. We stop at the top and we're kind of crouched over with our hands on our knees, literally catching our breath. God. We're just so... Bad. You can't believe it, can you? oh mate's it's, it's battered us and with you know i'm bulletproof you know me i was like yeah. always out and thrusting and young and exciting always and, thrusting. Not, not so <laughs> thrusting
1: not
2: so, so young yeah, anymore i know
0: i know he means sam sam has always struck me as a thrusting type well i am yes an international man of mystery and i <laughs> i mean that in a very sort of nice way linda i mean that in a you know, very tall, very upright, yeah, you just, <laughs> um, trustworthy, dependable. Well, it Not-
1: was my rock, and to see him crumble like that was really thrusting hard. Thrusting
2: rock, darling. <laughs> thrusting rock. <laughs> oh, it's it's just weird when you stand up and all of a sudden everything that you remember from like a minute ago is different. Mm. Exactly. Like, you've got to really listen to your body now, and I think, like I said before about slowing down, I'm starting to listen to the way I'm behaving as well. So mm. I think it's actually making us a, be- a better people.
1: I mean, because you've got asthma and everything, you're actually, I mean, I've recovered quicker than you at the time we've been at home, haven't I? And I was worse than you, but um, I think, uh, you know, I'm almost back to normal.
2: That's a little bit annoying, actually.
1: Yeah, I know, you're annoyed with that. I
2: know you wouldn't like that.
0: (laughs) It's a little bit annoying. Not only is he a thruster, Linda, he's one of the most competitive men I've ever met in my life. I know. No, the most competitive man. What <laughs> yeah.
2: I nearly died before you, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you've been to Tenerife, I've been to 11. No, I, want to die <laughs> first.
1: I don't want to live life without him.
0: Do you know what I think you should do, Sam? Because you and I, we, we, you know, from a creative point of view, we've talked about lots of things over the years and stuff. Yeah. And we're always looking for a, you know, a great idea, the next great idea. I'm going to tell you what I think you should do right now. I think you should and i hope you have if you haven't i think you should write down the experience and i think that you should turn this into a drama what you and linda went through because it's so clear it's so clear listening to me because you're you're loved by the country anyway the both of you you know and for what you've been through and the way that you've spoken with me you know at times i've got emotional at times you've got emotional We've laughed, we've cried. I think you have every element that this would be an amazing TV programme about two people that I love very much. I would love to watch that. Oh, bless you, mate. It's not a bad idea, actually. I just need to. Uh... I
1: don't. I don't want to play me. I don't want to relive that. Oh no, we Yeah, but I
0: think. Yeah, but if you could, Linda, uh, well. You know, maybe, I don't know, but I just think... Well, listen, he, I'm
1: not going to lose £12 again.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: so
1: so, <my>
0: <laughs> so you've started the eating, uh, you, you we're over the uh coronavirus and now, I mean, everyone I know is... I, I told you the other day, Linda, that I sent Bradley, we talked about Brad earlier, I sent him a sort of happy birthday, welcome to the 60 Club. Yeah. <laughs> he sent me back, oh. Oh, all I'm doing is putting on weight. I'm so fat. I'm so fat. Oh I
1: know. Well, I'm the heaviest I've ever been now, and I yeah, came back too. from the hospital, I say 12 pounds lighter. So I really enjoyed putting that back on and a bit more. <laughs>
2: calling, them, calling them lockdown layers, Mike.
0: Lockdown layers, yeah. Lockdown lunacy and lockdown layers. I don't know if you've seen this story, just to finish up on a, on a lighter note, because... Sam and I were talking about business ventures and maybe uh, writing the drama. I do think it would be something that people would want to see, by the way. Uh, The the latest Gwyneth Paltrow candle, have you heard about it?
1: Oh my God, what is it? She's done the fanny one. Well, The first
0: one was This Smells Like My Vagina. That was the first one. And the new one its This Smells Like My Orgasm. So apparently it smells like Grapefruit and neroloy. Now, I don't know what an orgasm is, let alone what neroloy is. So, although I've had a little check, and Neroloi oil is an essential oil produced from the blossom of the bitter orange tree. The scent is sweet and honeyed and somewhat metallic with green and spicy facets. it's just described thrush. <laughs> well, I've got one I couldn't find the wick so <laughs> You took you nick me gag I was waiting for the time Yeah, when well, you want to be a comic then you'll be a bit quicker, son <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, my God oh,
1: no, but she only lives on flowers and bloody grains and whatever, doesn't she?
0: Yeah, so she don't need uh, although uh, she don't need the, the money, does she? Uh,
1: no
0: I think the one I got was fake So, Oh, my God <laughs> you could uh, you could do a whole hour on. So you know, I was just thinking, Linda. There's an yeah. opportunity in candles. Now I'm not suggesting you go down. <laughs> Broadway, but oh,
1: sure. Maybe we... you,
2: Sam. Yeah. Corona. Could you imagine if if you gauge that on every celebrity's orgasm, what Bella <laughs> Emberg's orgasm would? <with>, uh, <laughs> or, Oh god, I'm trying to think of anybody else, you... I just think men, well, this smells like my
0: orgasm. Oh, I, I don't know. think anyone wants to smell that, do they?
1: Gonna... It's a
2: candle that's called come to me. <laughs> <laughs> <It's a laughs> smell like... oh, <laughs> you nearly did. You nearly <laughs> did.
1: Oh my god.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow, <wouldn't it? laughs> That'd take a while. So so we might be seeing you on the shopping channel saying <laughs> your version, Linda.
1: Really no, nice I enough. don't
2: think so. No, I think
1: She's, she, she's topped it. I can't think of anything worse to call a candle.
2: <laughs> well, if, if you buy more than one, is it a multiple orgasm <laughs> candle? <counter? laughs> oh, that smells nice anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know what, though? To be fair, what a marketing tool that is for oh, what's a you know it's, uh... You can't have balls of steel to do that. Though, Everybody's <laughs> going to be talking about it. <laughs> Jesus.
0: this smells like my orgasm it's, it's priceless hey listen you two it's been an absolute pleasure thanks so much for opening up to to me about your experience with coronavirus the one thing i can say is that you know uh thank god uh, I'm not religious normally, but thank God you two are fine. Uh thank I you. you I
1: thought you were gonna say thank God I haven't got <laughs> yeah,
2: so, it. you didn't get it mate.
0: Yeah, yeah, but I'm just so pleased for both of you. And um what's it feel like now knowing you've you know, I think I spoke to you, Sam, um, not long after Linda came out of hospital and I said it's almost like winning the lottery because you've had it and you're, you're over it. And, and, and is that right? Or was I sort of, you know, did do you, do you know what I was trying to say when I said, it was almost like you've won the lottery,
2: you've had it and you're clear of it now. It's um, hard to see it that way. Is, I, I, it was funny because we were talking, I was talking to a friend of mine about this and he said to me, how bad was it? I said, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. And he mentioned somebody that you and I both know, and um, not very liked in the business, and he went. Well, even him and I went. I wouldn't even give it to him. Wow. You know, there's there's no prize in this. Surviving it, of course, is yeah. is a miracle because how we got through it, God will only ever know that. You yeah. know, and, um, but thank God we did. But it's um, to get to that process, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. No. Thank God we're still alive. Yeah. And it's- you know, people. So many people have said to us, "You know, you, you're really lucky you got through. You know, you picked out a lucky ticket." And my answer to that was, "I'm not being funny, but if I had to pick that raffle ticket, I'd be having a word with the person who organised the prizes." <laughs> yeah, so yeah. true, so true. Yeah, there's no plus. Yeah. Surviving is obviously, you know, a, a yeah. massive, massive. And we, we
1: just hope we haven't got any long term damage that that is caused. Of but, course. Um, yeah. You know, it, it is frightening. I do. I do look back at it and think, you know, had we made one wrong decision or not called the ambulance that day, how things could have been different.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We may not have been having this conversation today and that doesn't bear thinking about. Thank you so much, Linda, Sam, give my love to Jack and Lucy. Um, You know what you mean to me. It's really special of you to share that with me and uh, we'll, we'll uh, catch up soon uh, and I'll see you both on the other side, as they say. Thanks,
2: thanks, Mike. Mike. You take care, my friend. Lovely talking to you. Bye.
1: God
0: bless. What an incredible story. You're listening to the Mike Osman and Mad Mick podcast. My thanks, my thousand thanks go to Sam Kane and Linda Lasadi for opening up and telling us about the most terrible time of their life. And I'm going to do what Sam mentioned. I'm going to try and get the spiritualist June Field. To do another podcast with us because i think there'll be huge interest in that thank you so much for listening i hope that we've all learned something from this i've learned that sam kane and linda Lasardi are even more special than i thought so before i started this show thank you linda thank you sam back to normal next week the mike Osman mad mick podcast with Mad Me. Don't miss the next Mike Osman and Mad Mick podcast. Go on, do yourself a favour.
1: Subscribe now. This, this is a Thanks for Asking production. production.